By any standards, it's a strange, almost incomprehensible law. Here it is in the form it appears in this week's parsha: Zachor, remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt, when you were weary and worn out. They met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you in the land he's giving you to possess as an inheritance, you shall blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Don't forget. Now just consider, the Israelites had two enemies in the days of Moses, the Egyptians and the Amalekites. The Egyptians enslaved the Israelites. They turned them into a forced labor colony. They oppressed them. Pharaoh commanded them to drown every male Israelite child. It was attempted genocide. Yet about the Egyptians, Moses commanded, Do not despise an Egyptian because you were strangers in his land. Now the Amalekites did no more than attack the Israelites once and attack they successfully repelled. Yet Moses commands, remember, don't forget, blot out the name. In Exodus, in Sefer Shemot, the Torah says that God himself will be at war with Amalek for all generations. Why the difference? Why did Moses tell the Israelites, in effect, to forgive the Egyptians, but not the Amalekites? The answer, I think, is to be found in the, as a corollary, of the famous teaching in Pirkei Avot, Kol Ahava Hatluya Badava. Whenever love depends on a cause and the cause disappears, the love disappears also. But if love doesn't depend on a cause, then the love will never pass away. What's an example of love which depended on a cause? That of Amnon for Tamar. And an example of the love that didn't depend on a cause? That was the love of David and Jonathan. When love is conditional, it lasts as long as the condition lasts, but no longer. Amnon loved, or rather lusted for Tamar, because she was forbidden to him. She was his half-sister. Once he had had his way with her, then, says Tanakh, Amnon hated her with an intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. But when love is unconditional and irrational, it never ceases. In Dylan Thomas's words, though lovers be lost, love shall not, and death shall have no dominion. The same applies to hate. When hate is rational, based on some fear or disapproval, whether justified or not, when it has some logic to it, then it can be reasoned with, and it can be brought to an end. But unconditional, irrational hatred cannot be reasoned with. There's nothing you can do with it and bring it to an end. Or it keeps persisting. And that was the difference between the Amalekites and the Egyptians. The Egyptians' hatred and fear of the Israelites wasn't irrational. 
Pharaoh said to his people, The Israelites are becoming too numerous and strong for us. We must deal wisely with this with them, otherwise they may increase so much that if there's war, they'll join our enemies and fight against us, driving us from the land. The Egyptians feared the Israelites because they were numerous, because they were strong, because they constituted a potential threat. Historians tell us that this wasn't groundless fear on the part of the Egyptians because they'd already suffered one invasion of outsiders, the Hyksos, an Asiatic people with Canaanite names and beliefs, who took over the Nile Delta during the second intermediate period of the Egypt of the Pharaohs. Eventually they were expelled from Egypt and all traces of their occupation were erased, but the memory persisted. So it wasn't irrational for the Egyptians to fear that the Hebrews were another population like the Hyksos. They feared the Israelites because they were strong. I don't mean to say that they're, because their fear was rational, it was justified. It wasn't justified. Actually, the Israelites wanted to leave. They didn't want to stay and take over the land. But nonetheless, it had a reason. And when hate has a reason, you can argue with it and eventually, hopefully, talk somebody out of it. Precisely the opposite was true of the Amalekites. They attacked the Israelites when they were weary and weak. They focused their assault on those who were lagging behind. Those who are weak and lagging behind pose no danger. This was irrational, groundless hate. With rational hate, it's possible to reason. Besides, there was no reason for the Egyptians to fear the Israelites anymore. They'd left. They were no longer a threat, but with irrational hate, it's impossible to reason. It has no cause, it has no logic, and therefore it will never go away. Irrational hate is as durable and persistent as irrational love. The hatred symbolized by Amalek lasts for all generations. All you can do is to remember and not forget to be constantly vigilant and fight it whenever and wherever it appears. There is such a thing as rational xenophobia, fear and hatred of the foreigner, the stranger, the one who isn't like us. In the hunter-gatherer stage of civilization, it was vital to distinguish between members of your tribe and those of another tribe. There was competition for food and territory. That was not an age of liberalism and tolerance. The other tribe was likely to kill you or oust you given the chance. The ancient Greeks were xenophobic. They regarded all non-Greeks as barbarians. Even people as tolerant as the British and Americans were distrustful of immigrants, be they Jews, Irish, Italian or Puerto Rican. What happens, though, is that in the course of time and within two or three generations, the newcomers acculturate and integrate. They're seen as contributing to the national economy, adding to the richness of its culture. And when an emotion like fear of immigrants is rational but unjustified, eventually it declines and disappears. So far is the United States, for instance, from persistent hostility to Jews, that recent research by the Harvard sociologist Robert Putnam has shown that Americans have warmer feelings towards Jews than the members of any other faith. Anti-Semitism, however, is different from xenophobia. It's the paradigm case of irrational hatred. 
In the Middle Ages, Jews were accused of poisoning wells, spreading the plague, and in one of the most absurd claims ever, the blood libel, they were suspected of killing Christian children to use their blood to make matzahs for Pesach. This is palpably impossible, but that did not stop people believing it. It was irrational. The European Enlightenment, with its worship of science and reason, was supposed to end all such hatred. Instead, it gave rise to a new version of it, racial anti-Semitism. In the 19th century, Jews were hated because they were rich and because they were poor, because they were capitalists and because they were communists, because they were exclusive and kept to themselves and because they infiltrated everywhere, because they were believers in an ancient superstitious faith or because they were rootless cosmopolitans who had no faith in anything. Anti-Semitism was the supreme irrationality of the Age of Reason. It gave rise to a new myth, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, a literary forgery produced by members of the Tsarist Russian secret police towards the end of the 19th century. It held that Jews had power over the whole of Europe. This, at a time of the Russian pogroms in 1881 and the anti-Semitic May laws of 1882, which sent three million Jews at least, powerless and impoverished, into flight from Russia to the West. The situation in which Jews found themselves at the end of what was supposed to be the age of enlightenment and emancipation was stated eloquently by Theodore Herzl in 1897. We've sincerely tried everywhere to merge with the national communities in which we live, seeking only to preserve the faith of our fathers. It is not permitted us. In vain are we loyal patriots, sometimes super loyal. In vain do we make the same sacrifices of life and property as our fellow citizens. In vain do we strive to enhance the fame of our native lands in the arts and sciences or her wealth by trade and commerce. In our native lands where we have lived for centuries, we're still decried as aliens often by men whose ancestors hadn't yet come at a time when Jewish sighs had long been heard in, this, in the country. If only we were left in peace but I think we shall not be left in peace. This was deeply shocking to Herzl. No less shocking has been the return of anti-Semitism to parts of the Middle East and of Europe today within living memory of the Holocaust. Yet the Torah intimates why. Irrational hate does not die. Not all hostility to Jews or Israel as a Jewish state is irrational, and where it isn't, it can be reasoned with. But some of it is irrational. Some of it even today is a repeat of the myths of the past, from the blood libel to the protocols of the elders of Zion. All we can do is remember and not forget, confront it and defend ourselves against it. Amalek does not die, but neither does the Jewish people. Attacked so many times over the centuries, it still lives, giving testimony to the victory of the God of love over the myths and madness of hate. Shabbat Shalom.